one of the most cherished items that I have in my office is this display that Byron and Madison made for me, I think my last birthday, after I had finished uh, my third marathon. It's something I look at every day. It, um, uh, it just kind of chronicles um, the three marathons that I've run. Uh, my first one, uh, New Year's Eve in Allen, Texas in 2012. Five hours and 29 minutes and 25 seconds. Whew. Speaking of marathons, uh, I didn't finish well that day. In fact, I walked five of the last six miles. Um, I got that shirt that day, and from then on, I wear it on my long days to remind me what it takes to finish. It's kind of a painful reminder of the past. Um, I ran my second one in Beaumont in March of 2014. Five hours, one minute, and 26 seconds. A marathon is 26.2 miles, if you don't know. That's why it takes me so long to run it. Um, I did pretty well that day. Felt good. I had a kick at the end. I felt like I was kicking. Some of those at the finish line said it didn't look like I was kicking. But uh, And then about a year ago on New Year's Day, I ran 43 degrees. Mm, at times a driving rainstorm. Shane Stover bailed me out at one point. The clothes you see me in were not the clothes I started in because um, I got soaked through and chilled to the bone and I probably wasn't going to make it. But actually, my best time, four hours, 58 minutes, and 26 seconds. I always seem to end at about 26 seconds, whatever the hours and minutes are. Um, I keep this in my office as a reminder of these markers in my running career. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing is... This is only a reminder of the past. Doesn't tell you a whole lot about where I am today. Uh, the preacher knows where he is today. <laughs> if we're just being real blunt, and since we're talking about running, um, I am uh, 30 pounds over marathon weight. Hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, my blue suit is my largest suit, and it will actually button. Anyhow, uh, I am uh, I'm 20 pounds over what I would consider half marathon weight. <laughs> you can be a little bit heavier when you run a half marathon. You say, oh, that's not a big deal, preacher. But you know, the way I describe it to people is when you're 20 pounds overweight, it's like, okay, I think I'm going to go running today. Oh, you know, let me... Let me grab some of this stuff, and I'm going to start running. It's like, okay, I don't really want to run with this chair, and this chair is probably only 10 pounds. So if I pick up two chairs, then I head out for my run. You know what I know today is uh, I'm not in the running shape I was. And it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just like one day. Is there something? Did I say something funny? 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, didn't happen overnight for me. Um, but it was somewhere in the midst of a couple weddings, a trip to Africa, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, about the last quarter of the year. I know we generally don't talk about weight, but if we're just being real honest, I put on 20 pounds. Um, and now when I run three miles, it's like running a marathon. It feels like a marathon. Um, and I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but I'm not there. But you know what I realized is that it didn't happen overnight. It happened with choices that I made, um, generally related to Amy's desserts that she bakes on a daily basis. I love her. She's trying to kill me, though. <laughs> In the last quarter of the year, she was winning the battle. Um, you know, then you don't run as much. And uh, the bottom line is I'm not in running shape. I can look at that picture in my office. It only tells me what I did in the past. It is a marker. But it does not ensure anything for today if day by day for days and weeks and months I have not done what I needed to do to stay in that shape. Hmm. The same is true in our spiritual lives. Hmm. I talked a little bit about spiritual markers last Sunday, and we'll talk about them more later. And we can look at things that we have done and God has done in our life in significant points. But you know, many times in our lives, and it didn't happen overnight, our hearts begin to drift from where they once were. Spiritually, it is about our hearts. And what God wants is He wants our hearts to be fully His. The standard is what Jesus said was the great commandment and it was in a great section of Scripture in Deuteronomy 6 that the Hebrews recited, I guess every day, the Shema. And it says that we shall love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. That's what God wants. Uh, but it just seems if we do not give attention to our spiritual lives, then our hearts begin to drift and our love begins to grow cold and we begin to substitute things other than God to make us happy and be fulfilled and satisfied in our lives. Hmm. I know it's true in my life. 
I have to assume that it's true in your lives. And then it becomes a part of our corporate life that we've allowed our hearts to drift away from God and we're not in the shape spiritually that we ought to be. It's something that as your pastor I have sensed for some time. It's partly the reason I'm preaching the sermons on higher ground. Um, to draw us to the place where God would want us to be, that we assess our lives where we are in relation to where God wants us to be, not where other people are, because you see, as a congregation, we can decide on a level of spirituality that we can all be comfortable with one another, and as long as we kind of stay in those parameters, we'll all be comfortable. We don't assess our lives based on each other. We assess our lives based on where God wants us to be. And He wants us to love Him with all of our hearts. Nothing more, nothing less. And so... I've started a process in my own life, in the staff's life, and in our life group teachers' lives uh, for spiritual renewal. And um, the month of February in our church will be a month that we will set aside for spiritual renewal. I knew in my own heart I had to start weeks ago so that my heart would be prepared to begin to lead the church staff and then in turn our life group leaders who have started a process today so that in two Sundays from now in life group in those four Sundays of February the 7th the 14th the 21st and the 28th of February that we will have some special um, lessons content activities, whatever you want to call it, it's not going to be necessarily traditional Bible study. It will be a time for us to ask God to draw us back to Himself so that we might, in obedience and faith, return to Him. You know the Old Testament prophets, there's a, there's a Hebrew word, sub. I don't remember much Hebrew. But the word sub in Hebrew means to return, return. And it was a word that is used consistently through the prophets whose call to God's people, God's people, return to me, return to me, return to me. So the month of February will be a month that we are setting aside for spiritual renewal. I encourage you to set aside that time in your own heart and in your own life and begin even today to search the heart of God to say God where am I and God would you show me where you want me to be and what you want to do in my life to draw me to the place where I love you with all my heart with all my strength and with all my might we will have times so we will not only have special uh, lessons in life group uh, we will we were setting aside Sunday nights for those life groups to spill over so that there will be time if you haven't had time on Sunday morning to deal with all that you need to that we will meet as life groups we're, so we're setting aside there won't be any other activities 
on those Sunday nights except for the opportunity for those life groups to meet in an additional time. We will have times of prayer, um, and we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be sharing those with you uh, in the next several weeks. Um, if God does not move in our hearts, and we have a great church with great programs and structures and worship and all of that, But if the Spirit of God does not blow through it, then it is just the practice of religion. And so my prayer, my prayer is first for me, that God would break my heart, would draw me to that love relationship that I need to have with Him. And that in turn, God would do that in your lives. And then God would do it corporately in our lives. And so, um, I ask you to begin to allow God to search your heart. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the story of the Old Testament of the children of Israel being redeemed out of Egypt and going to the promised land is a spiritual example for our own lives. So the last several weeks we have looked to their experience of uh, the promise of the land during the days of Abraham and then in the days of Moses of going to, to Egypt and being in bondage and God delivering them through the events that they celebrate every year in the Passover and delivering them out and bringing them up to the promised land and God saying this is your inheritance in the midst of the time in the wilderness though as they were, did not believe in God and they wandered for 40 years and that generation died off God took care of them with the manna and the water and the quail the meat he he provided a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to direct them God provided for their needs their physical needs in all ways but life in the wilderness was not the life that God had for them. There was something more. And it's what I've described in the sermon series title, Higher Ground. The promised land was higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. There is a life that God has for His children that we are called to. We must not be satisfied with a certain level of life or spirituality that we are comfortable with. It is not the life that God has called us to. At the start of the year, my challenge is, would God call us? to higher ground, to the life that He has for us. The book of Joshua marks a new day in the life of Israel. 
there was a new leader. Moses was gone. Joshua was the man. No longer did God, after they got in the promised land, provide the manna, the water, the quail. No, he gave them a land that he said, described over and over, flows with milk and honey. There is not milk and honey in the wilderness. It's in the promised land. It's the land that God said he has given them. But they must go up and take it. God provided them direction. And last week we saw that that decisive step that they took, they crossed the Jordan River. They crossed from the wilderness into the promised land across a river that they could not at flood stage normally cross. But once they got across and God brought the waters back, there was no turning back. The enemy was in front of them. I am reminded today that there are decisive moments in our lives, even as I, we will talk about in the weeks to come, I can mark some physical running markers in my life, but there are spiritual markers in my life, events that have occurred, how God has intervened in my life and set a new direction for my life, that there was no turning back. You know what I realized? Is that those events, you can't go halfway. You can't cross halfway across the Jordan River because you know what happens? God's sending the water back. You've got to decide whether you're going to be in the wilderness or you're going to be in the promised land. You can't stay here in the river. You can't go halfway. What I'm sharing with you, because there's going to be a spiritual battle if there already isn't already. <laughs> and it is this thing I just want to ease into change in my life. Anytime God has ever done anything significant in my life, I never eased into it. There was a jumping off point where I said, this may not make any sense, but God told me to jump, so I'm going to jump. Hear from God before you jump, okay? Yeah. Don't jump and then ask God to catch you. No. Make sure God's going to catch you first and then you jump. But it, there's all, I joke about that, but there is a step of faith. But what, what you determine, and some of you know, in the spiritual mind, I can look back to my running. I know that I can run another marathon. You know why? Because I've done it before. I'm not ready today. But someday I will. The same is true spiritually. The more God does in your life and you mark those times when he says jump, you say, you know what? <laughs> There's a handful of times in my life that I jumped and God was always there and always, was always faithful to his word. And so that gives me hope and trust. He's going to take care of me. This is what he's asked me to do. may not make a lot of human sense, but this is what I will do. We cannot ease into it. They had crossed the river. And uh, they came across the Jordan River. And their first obstacle was the city of Jericho. In Joshua 6.1, 
It says, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Geographically, the city of Jericho, the old city of Jericho, was five miles from the Jordan River. Not very far. It was positioned strategically. There was a reason that Jericho was in the place that it was. Not only was it uh, a place uh, along the Jordan where there was a natural ford where people could more easily cross than other places. But also when you came to Jericho uh, from the east going west across the Jordan, you came to Jericho and there were three roads that went out of Jericho. One went dead straight into the land of Canaan, due west. Another one went south, and another one went north. Now, Jericho sits in uh, the valley. It's not much greater uh, elevation than the Jordan River. But if you look at pictures from the Jordan River to Jericho, in the background... There are mountains. And so there were, there were only certain ways to go through those mountains. And one was straight up from Jericho. And then the other routes went north and south and basically went around the mountains. And the reason Jericho is such a fortified city is because of its strategic position. It was a walled city. How many of you this morning already knew before the preacher started reading that Jericho had walls? All right, about a third of our crowd. Mm. Okay, no. The rest of y'all knew that. They were not just walls, they were exceptional walls. In fact, the archaeologists have found that there was an inner wall and there was an outer wall. And we don't have time to tell Rahab's story, but from Joshua 2, we know that when the two spies were sent, well, even before Joshua 6 and Joshua 2, um, Joshua sends two spies to go and look specifically at the city of Jericho. You know why? Because it's right there in front of them. They knew it was something they were going to have to deal with. They could not go around it. It's right there. You cross the Jordan, it's there. And so they encounter uh, Rahab and she lives, the scripture says, in the wall. Ah, the archaeologists found there was an inner wall and an outer wall. Some people lived in the wall. You're not going to believe this. The old wall fell down. And I, I'm sorry if I ruined the ending of this story in Joshua 6 today. You know what they discovered? The whole wall fell down. Hmm. Except for one section. I, I'm, I'm serious. Archaeologists discovered there was one section of that wall where there was a house that was still intact and it didn't fall. Huh. That's interesting. I have a strong suspicion Rahab lived in that house. Because that's what it says in the scripture, that all the wall fell except for the house of Rahab. And everyone in Rahab's house was spared. Um, the Israelites had never faced a walled city before. <laughs> in fact, 40 years prior when the 12 spies went in, not only did they say the people in the land are giants, but they live in fortified cities. 
They'd never seen. There are no fortified cities in the wilderness. But in the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, there are fortified cities because they become strategic strongholds. Jericho is right in front of them. They're going to have to deal with it. They can't go around it. God speaks to Joshua in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. I love what God does here. Now, really, if you think about it, all God has told Joshua at this point is, I want you to cross the Jordan River. Check. We've done that. We've been faithful. I've shared with you this before. We see this so much in the Scripture. I've seen this in my life. God does not give me a road map for the next 50 years of my life. He says, today, this is what I'm asking you to do. And if you are obedient today, the implication is, then I will show you tomorrow what you need to do. All, Joshua, all God had told Joshua was, cross the Jordan River, and then the river went behind him, and it's like, okay, what are we going to do now? God speaks to Joshua and says, I have given you that city. God tells him what he is going to do, and then he begins to tell him the strategy. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. Six days, walk around it once. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. This is God's strategy that he communicates with Joshua. He says, I want you to know, I'm going to give you the city. And this is my strategy for how you are to do it. You get the men of valor and you walk around the city for six days. Just one time around the city, y'all go back to your camp at Gilgal. The seventh day, I want you to go around it seven times. And after you've circled it seven times, the ram's horns are going to blow and y'all are going to shout with a battle cry and the walls are going to fall down. Y'all have encircled the city. Every man goes forward. We're going to level the place. Now, ancient strategists would say there are five ways to take a walled city. You can go over the wall, you can build ladders, you can build a dirt mound, and you can go over a wall, okay? You can dig under a wall, okay? And that was done in ancient times. You can penetrate the wall, you can bust down the gate, you can go through the wall. Um, hmm. You can starve them out. You can, you can circle the city, 
and keep them from supplies getting in and eventually they will die and you can go up and they're going to be ready to surrender. Or, as the ancient Greeks did in, with the Trojan horse, you can trick them. You can get them to let you in and you can take the city. Anciently, as far as we can tell, there are only five ways to take a walled city. And God's strategy was none of those five. God was going to do it His way so that they would always know that it was Him and not them that had done it. God communicates this strategy with Joshua. Um, Joshua tells the priest in the subsequent verses, he tells the people, this is what we're going to do. Uh, they do the six days. Pick up the story in verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in, in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. I don't have time to tell that story this morning. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. Uh, what God was teaching was you're not going to take any of the spoils. Lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, all the metal, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So what God has said, when the walls fall, everybody go, go forward. Everything is to die and to be burned except for the metal. Do not take any of the spoils for yourself. Uh, the principle is the principle of the first fruits. Jericho is the first town. God says the first fruits are always mine. It's like the tithe. God says that part's mine. In, in subsequent conquests, God's going to say, take the animals, do this and that. The first city, God says, no, this one's mine. Everything is to be destroyed except for the metal. The metal, the precious metal, is to be taken into God's house. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. In the story, the people are instructed by Joshua to march the six days, and actually the seventh day, the seven times around, in silence. Only the priests are to be blowing the ram's horns. Everyone else is to be silent until the moment that the signal is given, then they are to shout. The action of the Israelites required faith. Faith is listening to God's word and being obedient. 
and, and doing it, action. And what God required of them for him to do his work was faith to take God at his word and obedience to do what God had called us to do. There are times in our lives where God tells us to do something and we say, this doesn't make any sense. Anytime you think that and Satan puts that thought in your brain, you go back to the story of Joshua 6 and said, it didn't make any sense to walk around the city for six days on the seventh day, seven times, and then all we're going to do is shout. God said, do it that way and you will see my hand at work. And God will give them the city and God did give them the city because the walls that fell were a supernatural occurrence. It was something that God did. And what strikes me is that God never does this again. They didn't come to the second city and go, God, we got this. We're going to do that six-day, that seven-day thing. We're going to shout and, yeah. It's not the strategy. It's the God who gives them the strategy. It is God that does it. It is a supernatural occurrence. I have asked you in previous weeks to prayerfully consider what it is that God has called you to this year. I have said to you to ask God, God, what is it? What is the territory? What is the higher ground uh, that you asked me to take? My point being, we do not want to come to the end of this year and be at the same place we are spiritually. That doesn't make any sense. Why would God give us another year if we're not going to use it to move to higher ground? We have wasted the year if we end up at the end of the year still wandering in the wilderness. There is something that God wants to do in each one of our lives. If He has given us another year, there is something that He wants us to do. And I've, I can't tell you what that is in your life. I can't tell you what it relates to. I don't know. I'm not God. I know what God speaks to me about. And I know there's things that God wants to do in my life this year. What occurs to me is this. And the reason we find ourselves in Joshua 6. Hmm. For most of us, what God wants to do in our life is right in front of us. If we're being real honest. It's probably something that's been right in front of us for years. There is something that God, I would guess, has been speaking to you about for some time, if you were real honest. And if you're like me, it's something you just haven't dealt with it's like the city of Jericho and you know the reality is we can't go on until we deal with that
It's not a great secret in our hearts, at least. It may be a habit that we need to forsake. It may be a, a discipline in the Christian walk that we need to develop. It may relate to a relationship. It is something that God brings to your heart on a regular basis. And like the city of Jericho, we can't go on until we deal with that. Do you know what, what would have happened if the children of Israel would go, you know what, <laughs> we're not really into walled cities. Nah, we don't really have that thing figured out. I think we're just going to kind of skirt the Jordan River and we're just going to try to find some little villages to pick off for a while. That stronghold still sits there and controls the travel down those roads. And for some of us, there's something in our life that's a stronghold. It's, it might be a surprise to me, but in your heart, it's something you have to deal with and think about every day. And you can't go to higher ground until you deal with that. I don't know why you haven't dealt with it. Maybe you looked at it like the Israelites and said it's a walled city. We don't know what to do with a walled city. It's a situation you say, well, there's, hmm, there's no way to get around this. The people of Jericho trusted in man-made walls. The Israelites were asked to trust in God who created the world and with God nothing is impossible. The Israelites looked at it and said, oh, there's, there, there's giants in the land and there's walled, fortified cities. That's why they didn't go up 40 years ago. We can't do this. No, you can't. But what does it say about your belief in God to say that God can't? I would contend with you if there is something before you that you say and you know in your heart and God is communicating with you that I can't move on in my spiritual journey until I deal with that. I will put God's character at stake and say my God is bigger than that. And God can, God can bring down those walls. God can deal with that stronghold. But you know what you have to do? You have to say, God, what is your strategy? If God brings it to your mind, he will also tell you how to deal with it. And some of you may have heard the answer of God. And God said, no, I want you to walk around the city. And you're saying, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. Well, you're going to stand there at Gilgal for the rest of your life, stuck between Jericho and the Jordan River. There's no place to go. You cannot move on to higher ground. Jericho is in that, that, I guess, a floodplain or, I don't know, that river valley. The mountains go up from there. You can't go up until you deal with Jericho. There's something in your life that's right in front of you. If you're being real honest... 
And until you deal with that, you can't go on. And I will put God's character at stake today to say if God tells you to deal with it, then God will have a strategy. And there will be two things that God will ask of you in that experience. One is faith. Will I take God at his word? If he says walk around the city six times and then the seventh day seven times, well, I have the faith to say, I will do what God has asked me to do. Do you notice in the, in the story that God doesn't have them sit in their little comfort in Gilgal, their little encampment, and God said, now, y'all just sit there and have some little prayer meeting, and y'all pray for those walls to go down and stay right there in Gilgal. And then the seventh day, send a scout out, and we'll, we'll see if those walls fall down. No, God required action of them. And so... For God to carry out His plan will always require faith and obedience. God, I will do what you've asked me to do, and then I will ask you to do, God, what only you can do. My reputation is not at stake here today. God's reputation is. I don't know what that stronghold is in your life. But I would guess that it's something right in front of your face. And I say if it's right in front of your face, you can't move on until you deal with that. I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. As Shane comes to lead us, just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Would you today say to God in your heart, God, I know what it is. And what do you want me to do? And would you have enough faith to step out in action and obedience to say, God, if that's what you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't feel comfortable, God, doing that. I don't want to do it. But God, I know I can't go on. I would pray that you would know that the land flows with milk and honey and the life that God has for us is an abundant life. He loves us. He doesn't want to make us miserable. He doesn't want to take things from us. He wants us to give us the best. He doesn't want us to be satisfied with that which is good. He wants us to live in that which is the best. I remind you that disobedience to what God calls us to do is very costly. Some of you have seen what God has done in the past. It ought to give you the courage today to say yes. So I want Shane just to play this morning for just a little while before we sing. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm asking you just to do a little soul searching. To get honest and get real with God. And say, God, where am I? And what is it that you need to deal with?
God, what is it you wanted me to do about it? 